Hey there, it's Dr. Nazanin Mo'oli, and I want to chat with you about a key ingredient for a fabulous date night, feeling sexy. And come on, let's be real. What you wear plays a big part in how you rock that confidence. That's why I'm thrilled to introduce you to Quince. Quince brings you premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts starting at just $30, along with washable silk tops, 40-carat gold jewelry, and more. And guess what? All of their goodies are priced 50 to 80% lower than similar brands. By teaming up directly with top factories, Quince skipped the middleman and hands us the saving. Plus, they stick to factories with safe, ethical practices and top-notch fabrics and finishes. How awesome is that? Picking from Quince's website was tough because they have a ton of fabulous choices. I ended up going for their 100% washable silk sleep dress in champagne. And let me tell you, my husband was floored. He's convinced whoever rocks this is in for a blast. I'm going to record some content on that dress so you can see how fabulous is that dress. Elevate your date night style with Quince. Pop over to quince.com slash sexology for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's quince.com slash sexology to get free shipping and 365-day returns. quince.com slash sexology. Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hey there, welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. A few weeks ago, we had this show on how to talk to your child about sex, and it was very well received. I heard from many of you guys on how the show gave you some ideas on how to talk about sex with your children, and you wanted us to explore it further. More importantly, you wanted us to have an episode on how to talk to your teenagers about it because it's one thing if you want to talk about sex with your child which is very important but the conversation is different when you have a teenager so I decided to have another episode on this topic and I invited Dr. Lene St. John to talk about this we're going to talk about how much parents need to ask their teens about their sexual behaviors we're going to explore the concept of consent, parenting a homosexual teen, and how to keep your teenager safe. Dr. Lene St. John is a board-certified sexologist, sexuality educator, and writer. She received her doctorate in human sexuality from the Institute for the Advanced Study of Human Sexuality, where she focused on child and adolescent sexuality. She develops curriculum, teaches classes, and works with clients to normalize conversation about sexuality between parents and children. Here's my conversation with Dr. Lene St. John. Welcome back to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am super excited to introduce our guest today, Dr. Lene St. John. 
As I mentioned, she's a board-certified sexologist and a sexuality educator. Dr. Lene, welcome to our show. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Mowali. Of course. It is. I was just before recording, I was sharing with you that I know we are, one of your area of expertise is child and adolescent sexuality. And I was reading your blogs a few days ago, and they're just so informative. <laughs> Thank you. How did you <laughs> Thank get, you. Yeah. How did you get interested? It's such an interesting niche and specialty. How did you get interested in that aspect of sexuality? Well, you know, it actually sort of popped up to me really quickly in my sex education uh, training. I went to the Institute for Advanced Study of Human Sexuality a number of years ago. And pretty much right away, that came up as something that was really sort of the, the niche that I wanted to focus on. And I mean, I have two kids of my own. And back when I started school, they were much younger. And it just seemed I had been having these conversations with them since they were three and five. And it started off with really basic things like the, you know, the proper names, the, the correct anatomical terms for the different parts of the body. And it really just sort of took off from there. Right. And I, I love that you did that with your children because sometimes when I have this conversation with parents, they're kind of like wondering, why is it important to talk to teens about sex? What's your perspective on that? Yeah, specifically when it comes to teens, I mean, well, all kids are practicing for adulthood, right? And if they're able to talk about topics related to sex, love, dating, relationships, things like that, makes it easier for them to talk about these things when they're older and, you know, eventually in relationships of their own. Yeah, it's, it's really important. Yeah. And many parents, it's so interesting. They kind of, because it is challenging to talk about sex with your teens and children, they kind of like delegate, they, I'll delegate this job to the school and they say, oh, they learn uh, from their sex education classes. What do you think about that? Do you think is that sufficient? Well, it's not always sufficient to rely just on the schools. I mean, it depends on what state you live in, for example, what's permitted to be taught in that particular state. I was just looking at some of the statistics last night, and I can give you a link for this. Uh, according to the Guttmacher Institute, as of July 1st, 2017, there are 24 states and the District of Columbia that mandate sex education. 22 mandate both sex ed and HIV education. But here's the part that's, that's probably the most uh, eye-opening. Only 13 states require that the instruction be medically accurate. Oh, wow. Yeah, so 13 out of our entire United States only require that the information be medically accurate. So, you know, who knows what, what's actually being said in the curriculum. <laughs> I didn't know and that was optional. Parent, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I were a parent, I wouldn't want my kids being taught something other than what, okay, if, if we compare it to any other subject, right? Let's say we compare it to science or, I don't know, uh, math. Like, would we want our kids to be taught something different <laughs> than what the rest of the country is being taught or that is even accurate according to, you know, medical or whatever, <laughs> whoever the... Uh, governing body or whatever. Right. That is so, <laughs> so interesting. And, you know, the other thing that my experience is that 
for my children, I want them to have the education that's at least congruent with my values. Growing up, I had lots of, the sex education was more around like sex negative topics. And it was just like scarce, like strategies about STI, pregnancy. And if you're a parent, say you don't want your children necessarily have a negative perspective on sexuality, I think it's just important to be able to communicate that with your children and teens. Yeah. You know, and and most education around sexuality has to do with plumbing and prevention. So you've got how things work and how to prevent STIs or pregnancy, right? That's sort of the sort of the overarching plumbing and prevention model. But there's a big there's another P (laughs) that's missing here, and it's pleasure. And it it does freak out a lot of parents to talk about pleasure as it relates to their kids becoming sexual beings or, or being sexual, but it's really important. I mean, when I first started studying about human sexuality, it's, it became pretty clear to me that you have these, I identified them as the five building blocks to a healthy sexuality. And they don't really have anything to do with, you know, where penises go or what you do with vaginas or things like that, but they really help to develop a solid foundation. And they are communication, consent, respect, pleasure, and fantasy. Oh, I love and, that. And yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, I mean, each of those things are independent, but they do work together as well. Communication has to do with being able to express yourself, your needs, wants, desires, being able to talk about emotion, being able to have emotion. It also covers you know, sort of that nonverbal communication as well, right? So if somebody freezes up, you know, it's important to ask, like, what's going on for you? What, you know, what's happening? You've got consent, which, you know, there's a lot of talk about consent these days. Um, and we can go into that a little deeper. Respect in, in the way I think about it, there's a lot of different aspects, but respect for self and for others. Um, it's also when you talk about respect, respect for self, I think of that as, you know, respect for your body and, you know, having a healthy body image as well. The, the last two bullet points of the five building blocks are pleasure and fantasy. And these two are the hardest for, for parents and for adults in general. You know, you have pleasure. Most adults sexualize, I would say, a lot of things, if not everything. <laughs> right. Um, and pleasure can be something as simple as a hug. Pleasure is self-care. You know, there's a lot of different aspects to pleasure that don't have anything to do with sexuality or, or being sexual with another being, but they do have a lot to do with developing a health, healthy uh, sense of self as well. You know, a hug can be, I, I say this, you know, I've said this a number of times, I think I've written it a couple of times too. Hugs are so important and they can be so moving. You know, a hug can, can evoke tears if you really need a hug and a hug can soothe tears. And so, you know, something as simple as a hug is, is, totally about pleasure, but it's not sexual pleasure, right? And it's just more than, there's so much more than just sexual pleasure. Fantasy, the last bullet point is one that, I mean, it really, like I said, it's tough for adults. Fantasy is, is healthy. It's, it's healthy to fantasize. People have a difficult time talking about their fantasy. And if you look at little kids when they play, they can get really involved, right? And as adults, you know, taking that sense of play with our you know, with our adult partners is, is also something that's really 
really healthy and being able to talk about it, ideally without any shame or judgment. You know, not all fantasies work out to be acted out, but, um, you know, it's, uh, it's certainly something that can be healthy to talk about. It can Absolutely. help you even be deeper with your partner. Right. And I like how you have this holistic kind of approach and view of sexuality because many people, because of the the way that kind of they learn about sexuality, they get so narrowed down on what is it sexual and what's not. And it just yeah. misses so many elements. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, it's, it's really key to be able to have people you can talk to, people you trust that you can talk to about sexuality. I mean, it goes for teens being able to talk to their parents or any other trusted adult, but being able to talk about the easy stuff as well as the tough stuff is important. And I find that, you know, being able to start with the easy stuff, obviously it's the easy stuff, right? But I've gotten to a point now where my kids ask me questions about things like, what are beer goggles? You know, <laughs> um, it's a really good question, right? I mean, right. my daughter stumbled upon it in a, in a book that she was reading. And she asked me, well, what are beer goggles? And, you know, it, it relates to, you know, love, dating, relationships, sex, alcohol, you know, there's a lot of things that, you know, that kids are learning about or, or seeing in the, in the wild that um, it's important to be able to have someone to ask these questions of. Absolutely. And the other part of it is that these, some parents, they think that if, they talk to their children or teens about sex. They give them permission or they're going to be more sexual. But that just, these are, A, it's part of human being and B, this like sexuality, sex is everywhere in our environment, in yeah. the media. And just what a, it's a, such a wonderful way that you create a space for a child and teens to ask those questions from you versus then getting it from a random information from the internet or, a, yeah. yeah. Well, and it's funny, I had to laugh when you said that because, yes, absolutely. People think if you do talk about sex, it's going to make kids want to go out and do it. But when I talked to my daughter, she, she, my oldest asked me the question, something like, uh, why are parents so so weird? Why are adults so weird about sex? Like, you know, why, why is this such a, a weird topic? And I said, well, you know, some people think that if you talk to your kids about sex, they're going to want to go out and do it. And my daughter said, well, you can teach me about the center of the earth, but it doesn't mean I'm going to go down there and try to find out about it. I was like, okay. Very insightful. <laughs> it's a pretty straightforward response, yeah. I mean, you know, you asked the question about, like, can parents depend on sex education at, in the schools? And I think you mentioned it about the values, right? It's really important to have education for your kids as it relates to your values and and, you know, as it relates to human sexuality. And it's important for parents to seek this out themselves as well, getting really clear on what their values are, because it's not something that we discuss. So it's hard to talk to our kids about it, right? So, um, I mean, my kids have had, you know, a pretty thorough education about sex and sexual behaviors uh, here at home. But I also sent my daughter to the OWL program, Our Whole Lives, and it's, um, I can send a link for this as well. The program she went through was for her grade level and it was seventh, yeah, seventh to ninth grade. And it was an hour and a half once a week for 26 weeks. I mean, it's more than <laughs> many of I mean, my colleagues receive. <laughs> exactly. I mean, but to go through this 
through the OWL program and why I thought it was really important too is she was with a group of peers and they really got to discuss values. And I think those, those first few classes especially were really, really a great foundation for her to talk with other kids and, and uh, other people her age and, and to really see kind of what other people were thinking and what are some of the values that, that kids have around when do they think they'll want to be sexual? When do they think they'll want to have kids? And, you know, what do you think is important to be in place when you do have a kid? And so, I mean, if you're not thinking about, well, it might be good to have a job or, or maybe a, a support system in place, you know, who, who would be there for me if I had a kid? You know, how would I, how would I take care? I mean, these are all things that, right. you know, do we really sit down and talk about these things with our kids? Not often. You know, so to have a, a peer group that and a really amazing program that goes through all that with your kids, it's it's really, really great. That's and we wonderful. started lots of good conversations for us at home here, too. That is great. And please feel free to send us the link. I'll make sure I put it on show notes. And I love that they had this. Uh, they were exploring the topic versus on saying, oh, this is the way it should be like teen pregnancy is bad. This is good. So that's good that yeah. they always created a space for discussion and exploration. Yeah. And I didn't, I mean, I was really sort of interested in the curriculum before I even had her go. And so I was, you know, obviously all parents are really concerned. What are they going to be teaching my kids? And there wasn't anything in this entire curriculum that I had any problems with. And, and if there were any questions my daughter had, she felt comfortable coming to me afterwards to say, well, what do you think about this? You know, I wrote a blog about her, sort of her final takeaway, because it was something like, if you're not mature enough to be able to talk about sex, then you probably shouldn't be having sex. That is so interesting. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I mean, there are plenty of adults who can't talk about it. So I'm sure that's not going to, you know, that sort of a thought might not go over so well because <laughs> people want to have sex. Right. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I make sure I put a, a link on that and, and show notes too, because there's very important, important information for people to have and kind of like, learn about it, about these programs from a sex educator, because there are so many random information out there yeah. and you don't know which one you can truly trust. Right. Exactly. It is difficult to know which one you can trust. You know, I'm, I'm not a big proponent of programs that really do a lot of moralizing or, or right. telling people what they should be doing. You know, it's, it's, it's tough. I mean, it's one of the things where if you're going to talk to your kids, you have to be able to listen more than talk, especially when they're teens, because they they do have thoughts. They do see the same thing. They see things differently than we do. They see them with different eyes. And so, you know, there's a there's a whole big world out there that they're observing. And it might not have been the exact same way as we were seeing it when we were that age. But, you know, it's really important to be able to have someone to talk about it. Right. The other thing that you mentioned that was interesting that I definitely want to make sure we're exploring more is consent. I know oh, yeah. that that is such an important topic and I love how the conversation evolved compared to the time I was at school. I know back in when I was a teenager, it was the, the extent of conversation was no means no. And yeah. that wasn't enough. And now I love how different people are talking about it and gives they give awareness about how complex the topic is. So when parents yeah. are talking about consent with their teens, what are some of the topics you encourage them to discuss with? 
So no means no was a good program when it first came out, right? Right. But there's a piece of, and I think I mentioned it earlier, when someone gets really quiet, right? Or when they stop talking, it's important to, you know, find out what's going on there. So how I started talking to my kids about consent. And in the at the time, I didn't even realize that it was that it was consent, to be honest. <laughs> um, my mom came over with my sister and my sister's daughter. And I hadn't seen the baby for about, yeah, I was probably like nine months. We don't live real close by, so don't get to see each other very often. And so when she came over, you know, I squatted down near the front door and I put my arms out and I said, oh, come give me a big hug. And, you know, she hadn't seen me. She held on to mom's leg. And it was in that moment where I realized, oh, she's not comfortable. She doesn't know me. I said, okay, that's fine. When you're ready, I'm here to give you a hug whenever you want, you know, sort of like giving her permission that she could come to me. But at the same time, my mom, who is, you know, that grew up in very uh, traditional American background and values, she said to me, oh, just grab her and give her a hug. (laughs) And I was like, well, no. I mean, her body language is telling me very clearly she was, you know, still very young, but able to stand up and hold on to mom, but sort of pre-verbal to be able to say, I don't know you. I'm not comfortable with you. You know, let me warm up to you. And it's important for adults. It's not about me, right? I don't, I shouldn't be taking this personally or trying to give her a guilt trip. Oh, you forgot who your auntie is, or you don't love me or like what any of those things, it makes no sense to them because then that makes them feel bad about standing up for themselves. And I would never want a kid to feel bad for standing up for, you know, not wanting to come hug me. It's not about me. (laughs) So you know, and then so that was like the, a big aha moment for me. And so from that point on, I really started talking to my kids about how, you know, if we're playing and they want me to stop, they just say stop. And so when they were really little, it was one of the common things we did was tickle, right? One of those right. fun things parent like parents like to do with their kids. And, you know, I was, you know, one kid is on her back and I'm tickling, tickling, tickling. And I had sort of this, this moment or a flash of being in the reverse position, right. you know, being the person towered over by this person who was so much bigger than me uh, and really not being able to have the strength or control to be able to get them to stop if I wanted them to stop. And I, you know, I stopped. And I said, you know, if you're, if you ever are uncomfortable or it's too much or the tickling, you know, you feel like you're going to pee or whatever, just tell me to stop and I'll stop. And so I said, let's try it, kind of little role play. I said, okay, ready? Go. Yeah, tickle, tickle, tickle. And then she's like, stop. So I froze, almost like, you know, just like freezing. And then she sort of like caught her breath. And like, okay, go. And so I started right. up again. So, but that was like, that was like the first lesson in consent, right? If you want the person to stop, ask them to stop. And now granted, hopefully in every situation that would be the case, but, you know, teaching that now at, at two, where then that's something that they can translate to when they're 12 or 22, that's really important. I would say consent also, cover consent in everyday interactions. I mean, my kids, the you know, they'll argue about, uh, you know, stop touching me or something, you know, right. stuff like that. and. You know, I, I often hear, you know, it'll start to escalate, you know, stop touching me, leave me alone, you know, whatever. 
And then the thing that stops them is one will usually say, no consent. <laughs> and then, and then everything that. stops. So, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting that telling someone to stop touching me doesn't have them stop, right? But if you say no consent in my house, that's like... <laughs> that is so awesome. Yeah, it's, uh, and it's, it's funny. There are educators that do a really good job of, of talking about this too. And, and uh, I'll give you a link for this one too. But um, Al Vernacchio is a sex educator on the East Coast. And he did a TED Talk talking about sex as pizza. And how it relates to consent is, you know, getting um, what's also communication too. It's a big piece of communication, but being able to talk about moving away from the analogy of sex as playing baseball or some sports analogy. I see. Because usually there's two sides and there's a winner and a loser, you know, Um, and then also the bases are very, um, very heterocentric and also sort of feed into that uh, orgasm as a goal or, you know, there's like a, there's like a right way to do sex or a right way to have sex and, and intercourse is it, right? And uh, the pizza analogy takes the approach that if you are with a partner or partners, if the case may be that, and you're an adult and <laughs> engaging in, you know, multiple partner sex right. or whatever the case may be, being able to talk to a person and say like, what do we want on our pizza? Like, what do we want to do here? You know, what what are the different things that are on the menu? What, oh, are- <laughs> what a neat way of putting that. I, I haven't watched right? that that one. Yeah. Yeah. So it's I mean, it's it's interesting. It's probably more more mature. You wouldn't necessarily. Well, you'd have to judge for yourself what age <laughs> you'd want to talk to that about with your kids. But um, but yeah, I, mean, I thought that was a really excellent analogy for communication and consent. Um, there's a big piece of respect in that too, I can see, and also pleasure. So it hits four of my, <laughs> it's four of my building blocks. Yeah, I watched the one about tea. Have you seen the tea one? And oh, I, yeah. oh, yeah, that's our joke at home with my husband. And it's just so funny. And I just like, so I love how in that video also they go into different scenario. I, <laughs> that's just such a my, funny video. My oldest loves that tea and consent video. <laughs> she really does. When we talked about that recently, my youngest is like, I haven't seen that yet. Can I see that? So we'll have to pull that one up for her too. <laughs> I can send you a link for that one too. I yeah, think. yeah, for sure. I think <laughs> this is, these are just such a important, but sometimes when it's not applied to people, dry content that I love it when they're put in such a playful way of like presenting it. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, I mentioned it before we got on the call. Sex is fun. It can be fun. It certainly is funny. Uh, (laughs) So being able to have a, I wouldn't say a cavalier attitude about it, but really being able to be comfortable and, and open and being able to talk to a partner, you know, building these skills as a teen is important and, and being able to talk with a, you know, future partner is, is everything. Absolutely. And I wanted to switch a little bit to another topic that I hear a lot from parents. And I know we briefly talked about it, brought an excellent point before the recording. Sometimes parents come to me and say, like, how how would they know if they're parenting a homosexual teens? Because they want to make sure that they facilitate the coming out process. And uh, right. so, and I know we talked a little bit about it before the recording and I would love love it if you can share your perspective with our listeners about that topic. Sure. So I reviewed, I was as I was preparing for 
today's interview, I was sort of thinking through some possible scenarios and, and topics to talk about. And, and this one was one that came up and I, sometimes my, my daughters will come in and they'll want to know what, so what are you, what are you doing? And I mentioned what I was doing and, and I said, you know, how would a parent know if they were parenting a homosexual teen? And my oldest said, well, well, why is it important to know that? And I thought, well, that's a really right. an interesting question, <laughs> right? So from a, from a teen's perspective, like why would a parent want to know? And the things that pop into my mind is, is most parents want to help protect their kids. They want to be there for their kids. They want to, they want to keep their kids safe. And, and this can go into, I mean, the safety aspect is, is so huge. And that really is sort of an overarching topic as it relates to sex and sexuality and drugs and alcohol and all those other things. But when it comes to parenting a, a homosexual teen, you know, the situation is not going to be the same for every situation, you know, most likely the kid is figuring out their sexuality around that same time too, if they don't already know it. Um, sometimes they'll figure it out before you get a chance to figure out what their sexuality is or, or will be. I guess the, the most important part of this is, is um, it's that unconditional love part, regardless of, of, you know, what, genitalia your partner or your your child is going to want to engage with in the future you know um if it's going to be a, a same-sex interaction or a or a heterosexual interaction you know just being able to be there for your teen and and show them love regardless of of who they're going to be in love with in the future you know some parents just know if their teen is is homosexual sometimes it's it's tougher to tell if you're if you're Teen is bisexual, for example, you, you're, you, maybe you're going to get mixed signals. <laughs> and, right. and I guess it goes back to, so ask yourself why it's important to know. Is there judgment that's happening? Is there, are you uncomfortable with, you know, what may be coming out if, you're, if your kid is gay and you don't understand homosexuality? Maybe that's a time to start judging less and examining inside more, like, where does this come from? What, what kind of messages did I get growing up? about homosexuality or how did I know, when did I know that I was heterosexual? Um, just start asking yourself some questions as well. Cause you know, they're probably questioning themselves as well. So, you know, being able to ask you, you know, ask a question, you know, ideally you're willing and able to accept your child for who they are. I know in some cases that's not always easy, especially when religion or socialization. Um, it may, may not be acceptable in the culture or, you know, in the neighborhood or, you know, whatever the overarching or with religion, you know, whatever the overarching you know, rules or, or guidelines you grew up with, maybe, you know, maybe homosexuality is not, not so uh, welcome. So you really have to examine. So what's, what's going on under the surface here for, for myself as well? Right. And I love when you kind of talk about parents being intentional about why is it important for you to know, as you mentioned, I know, fortunately, in some part of the world, and even in US, people are not mm -hmm. safe because of their orientation. Yeah. And also, they don't have as much resources to talk about uh, what they're experiencing. And it's important to help the teens feeling safe and at least have that space with you that they can kind of explore their feelings. Right. And there are a number of fantastic organizations that help that help teens with either the feelings, the you know, feelings they're having or exploring, trying to figure themselves out. 
Sometimes the organizations are, are in the school. Sometimes they're um, community-based organizations. Yeah, this is a case where you know Google can be really helpful, but also knowing someone who has access to or knowledge of the different resources that are out there, that's also really important because sometimes Google's not always not always totally helpful. <laughs> right, <laughs> you get someone who's sex positive. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you mentioned at the beginning of the show that sex negativity is is something that a lot of people grew up with. Nowadays, there are really a lot of very sex positive, good sources of information as it relates to you know, sexuality in whatever whatever niche you are looking for. It's there's there's someone who is specializing in that. Right. And the last topic I wanted to check in with you about is something that comes up frequently in my practice, I would say like from time to time, but it's been my experience that that's an issue that some of the parents struggle with. So I like when a parents realize that they teen has been engaging in risky sexual behaviors. For example, a few weeks ago I had a teen that was talking uh, with someone online. They learned that the guy was like it was this like a young female and the guy was significantly older than her. And obviously the law enforcement got involved and mm-hmm. the parents were panicking and it was such a complicated issue. And I know there are a number of risky behaviors that they're teen engaging in. And part of it's developmentally, that's appropriate. Mm-hmm. But how can parents kind of support their kids? And what can they, what do they need to do when they, le- they learn that their teens are engaging in these behaviors? So I saw a video recently that uh, a local police department sent around on Facebook. And it was one of these, it was a situation where a young man was, with the permission of the parents, posing as a young teen boy and sort of not really luring, but yeah, I guess it was luring 12, 13 and 14 year old girls to come out and meet him at a park or, you know, allow him to come over after the parents had either gone to sleep or, or left the house. And it was it was sort of this scared straight scenario where... Right. You know, the parent is is just out of eyesight. And as soon as the kid approaches or opens the door, the parent will yell or, you know, jump in. And, and that's, you know, the kid starts crying. I can't imagine being in that situation, how traumatic that would be, like just paralyzing right. almost. But really, the whole thing boils down to the topic of safety. It's really not about the sex. It's it's more about how do we keep our kids safe. And understandably, parents are are concerned. They want their kids to be safe. I want my kids to to never be in a situation that puts them in any harm, right? That's like, that's a parent, of course, that's a normal right, parent, right. you know, desire. But I think, you know, in, in my situation, what I did is I sat down with my kids and I've been really open with them and made it basically that it's a safety issue, you know, no matter what situation they find themselves in, they can come to me. We've got uh, a code that if my kids are out, I mean, they're certainly not to this age yet, but it's coming up. You know, um, if they're out with friends and they're in a situation, they're finding themselves not comfortable anymore. Say somebody starts drinking or doing drugs or you know whatever. We have a code that you know she'll she can text me and I will come and get her, no questions asked. Oh, I that's mean, fantastic! It's, it's certainly not going to be you know, we'll never talk about the topic, but at the moment, I'm not going to be, you know, I'm not going to rush in to be like, what are you doing? Why are you drinking? Why are they drinking? You know, 
Right. None of that is going to happen at the time. I'm committing that I'm not going to be angry at the time, right. <laughs> but we are going to have a discussion later, you know, about what, what's, what's happened here. What, you know, how did this, how did this come about? But it boils down to safety. I mean, if, if my kid sneaks out of the house and gets into a situation where she needs my help and I don't know where she is, I can't, you know, I don't know how to, <laughs> I, I can't come get her. Right. So, you know, I think my kids understand, you know, I, I think I've, I've shown in many cases that, or in the, at least the cases that it's important that I'm going to stick up for them. I'm going to have their back and they trust that I'm being honest when I say this is about safety. It's not about me trying to be controlling, you know, and I, and I see this behavior in, I saw it in myself and I saw it and I've seen it in, in friends. You know, if, if I get a thrill out of keeping a secret or sneaking away, that's going to come with me when I get older. And it could be, it could translate in the future to not being completely honest with my partner or, or myself, <laughs> you know, and, and doing this sort of like risky behaviors, risky situations and getting a thrill out of it, but it not necessarily being a, a good thing for me. Um, do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. You know no, yeah. And I, I love that because, you know, sometimes teens are, A, as you said, like it's very, it's a good practice for adulthood and being transparent and putting their safety first. But the other thing, as you were talking about, I was thinking about a training I had with, for sex trafficking, I went to this continuing education and the mm -hmm. Long Beach police was talking about that one of the ways that traffickers uh, kind of like uh, hook the teens and kind of like uh, set up the the setting that they cause them to kind of like put them in a risky situation is their fear of parents' reaction when they're yeah. going to figure out. And I love yeah. that when you have that approach of no question asked in that moment, I'm not going to get angry. So if the safety is an issue, they know they can count on the parent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are certainly, there are too many stories out there, even if it's not a trafficker, but it could be, you know, do you remember the story of Amanda Todd? No. Well, there was a young woman, gosh, a number of years ago, probably six years ago or so now, where she was online and someone asked her to flash her boobs. Mm-hmm. And when she flashed her breasts, they took a screenshot and then they proceeded to blackmail her and bully her and started to share the information with friends, uh, people at the school. And then, of course, along comes the slut shaming that peers do to each other. Right. And the young woman wasn't comfortable talking to her parents about what had happened. And, you know, it's, it's not even just that situation. There are lots of situations where kids get themselves into awkward situations and, and internalize, you know, they completely go inside themselves. They, they can't talk to someone else and say, okay, look, I did something really stupid and now there's a consequence or this is what's happening to me and I need help. And I absolutely want to be there to help my daughter, you know, or, or if I had a son, help my son get out of a situation like that where someone is bullying or blackmailing. Yeah. It's, it's a, that's a lot for a teen. It's a lot for an adult, but for a teen who, you know, may not have anyone to talk about, uh, to talk to about the situation. It's, it's really, it's really scary. 
Absolutely. I, and I can talk about this topics for hours, but I've noticed we are <laughs> toward the end of our time. Dr. Lone, if our, our listeners wanted to keep, get a hold of you, I know you have a lot, number of different good materials in your websites. And I wanted to know what would be the best way for them to contact you? Well, the best way to contact me, anybody can email me. It's mamasutra at me.com. M-A-M-A-S-U-T-R-A at me, me.com. That gets directly to me. I have a Google Voice number I can give you. Um, oh, sure. The website as well, actually. The website is probably even better. It's themamasutra.net. And I can give you a link for that too. Absolutely. And we'll all make sure that we put all of those great informations and links and everything in our show notes so our listeners can get a hold of you and benefit from all the great content and information that you, <laughs> you put out there. I look forward to it. You know, I, I have a, a book coming out soon. Oh, great. Um, it's still ser- searching for a publisher, but I may end up just doing um, self-publishing and putting it, making it available on my website. But it goes into those five building blocks that I talked about. Right. It's uh, The book is called Raising Sex Smart Teens. Oh, what a neat title. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on a second. It's Raising Sex Smart Kids. I'm working on say, Raising Sex Smart Teens right now. <laughs> <laughs> so... So yeah, I have that. And then I'm also working on uh, having an online course coming up soon. So stay tuned for that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as they come out, please let me know and I'll make sure that I put it in our website so people can you. Uh, find you that way. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. This was lovely. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I've had a wonderful time today. Thank you. Same here. Bye-bye. Bye. I hope my conversation with Dr. Lene gave you some tips on how to talk to your teenager about this topics. I know it's not easy, especially if it hasn't been ongoing conversation, but I can guarantee that it's never too late. And if you apply the principle that she mentioned as far as being curious about their perspective and creating an environment of safety, I bet you'll be able to a, improve your relationship with them and also uh, support them with exploring uh, their sexuality. I would love to hear what, what have been your experiences with talking to your teenager. If you have a tip that's worked for you, please feel free to share with me. You can email me at Dr. Maoli at Sexology Podcast or tweet or drop a line in my social media, which is at, at oasis to care dot com that's our show for today and make sure you check out our our website to uh, check out the links that dr lene mentioned all right i'll talk to you next week thanks for listening to sexology podcast for more great content visit www.sexologypodcast.com please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.